You're listening to You Talk, I Listen, We Do, with attorney Ty Pinkins, 2024 candidate for United States Senate, ready to represent our great state of Mississippi and help bring about positive change for you, your family, and our communities. We're living in a time where all Mississippians can benefit from honest and capable leadership. Regardless of the color of your skin or what's in your bank account, jobs, housing, healthcare, education, and so many other areas can stand some fixing. I'm running for United States Senate in 2024. Along the way, I'll be talking to you every Wednesday at 5 p.m. right here on WMPR about what matters to you. We'll have guests every week discussing issues surrounding jobs in the economy, healthcare, education, and so much more. Tune in weekly so you can talk, I can listen, and we can do. So today, I am super excited. We, we usually um, have our shows here where we have one guest most of the time for the entire hour. But we're going to do something a little bit different today. Today, we got two guests on. One is going to be on for the first half of the hour. The second is going to be on for, the uh, obviously, the second half of the hour. And what's interesting about these two guests is they are both running for the same seat in the Mississippi legislature to represent Mississippi House uh, District Seat 60. Six, And so that's why I'm so excited, because we get to have two serious community members, community leaders come into the station and talk to Hines County residents, particularly residents of District 66, about what they are going to do should they be elected to office, and more importantly, why you should vote for them in the upcoming runoff election on August 29th. Now, uh, I'm, I'm excited about our first guest. In the studio with me right now is none other than Mr. Fabian Nelson, who, as I mentioned earlier, is in the runoff election to represent District 66 in the Mississippi House of Representatives. Mr. Nelson is a graduate of the Jackson State University. I have to say it right because, listen, when you talk about Jackson State University, I'm not a Jackson State grad. I've been to Tougaloo, but I'm not a Jackson, Jackson State graduate. I learned real quick that y'all take that seriously, you know? And this whole Jackson, Jackson State, Oklahoma, Mississippi, Mississippi State, State, I know it's all love, but it scares me sometimes. So I have to say it right. The Jackson State University, and he holds an MA with a concentration in entrepreneurship from American Public University. Fabian is a member of the Gary Road Elementary, Gary Road Intermediate, Byron Middle School, and a Terry High School parent teacher. Or, I mean, the ordinance teacher ordinance. Golly, man. Four. I have, I have kids in every school in okay. Goodness. <laughs> <laughs> the parent-teacher organization. He also serves on the Mississippi Department of Child Protective Services Parent Advocacy Advisory Council, MDCPS, which works as a bridge between foster parents and the MDCPS. He is the owner of Mississippi United Realty, a real estate firm specializing in making home ownership possible for first-time home buyers. Welcome to the show, Mr. Fabian Nelson. How are you today? I am doing great. Thank you so much for the great introduction and thank you for the warm <laughs> welcome. I don't have to say anything else now. <laughs> thank you for having me. It's always a pleasure. You know what? I think it's uh, before we get started, I think it's really interesting to learn just a little bit more about you because there's something behind you being a part of four different um, parent teacher organizations. Can you just take a second, a few minutes before we start to tell us? Where, why, why is that? Okay, well, the reason I'm a member of four different, but like I said, I help children to go to- That thing's beautiful. I think it's beautiful. <laughs> in Byram. And uh, so I am I am a foster parent. Yeah, there you um, go. I have four children. Um, I actually just adopted- Really? Completed adoption on my 13-year-old's uh, name is Octavius. Yeah. And um, he was in, in foster care for almost nine years. Oh. And so he came to me, we finalized his adoption about a month ago. Uh-huh. But I'm a member of all of the PTOs because I want to be active, uh-huh. you know, in the school and know what exactly is going on. And the PTOs do amazing things for our children. Yeah. And I remember growing up, my parents were members of the PTOs for my school. So yeah. just following in their footsteps, but it's something I enjoy doing. It's absolutely important. Yes, it it's is. It's absolutely important to be involved in those uh, organizations within our school systems. But uh, I'll be honest, I don't know how you do it. Four <laughs> different PTOs, four different meetings. Oh, my. 
goodness. Yes. So. <laughs> I, I, a lot of our meetings are now on um, virtual due to, you know, okay. after COVID, you know, everything mm -hmm. kind of went virtual. So a lot of meetings are virtual, but the candy sales and all of that, that's yeah. not virtual. Oh, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> so you be hustling with that candy. You got to satisfy every child and make sure that they meet that quota. Most definitely. I sell houses and candy. <laughs> You five, come on by five candy you call you the, the candy man. That's it. <laughs> okay, so let's get into it, straight into it, because you're running, well, you already ran for House District 66. Yes. Uh, two weeks ago, um, citizens came out and voted, and uh, there were several people in your race, several people. Nobody reached the 50 plus one threshold. So the top two candidates are now in a runoff that's going to take place on August the 29th. That's you and my next guest. Yes, that's and correct. I think this is absolutely fabulous. <laughs> I do. But one, because I know both of y'all. Okay. And I'm both, I know both of you are brilliant, brilliant people. And y'all care about the community. Yes. And I'm excited because community members get to hear what answers some of the questions that, uh, that I think are important to them. So let's hop straight into it. Uh, the, the first question for me um, is, given the historical underfunding of Jackson, Mississippi, by previous Republican administrations, or did I start on the wrong one? I started on the wrong one. Oh, no problem. Yeah. Um, that's the right question. By previous Republican administrations, because you know, uh, for a long time, the city of Jackson, our capital city, unfortunately, has been underfunded. It's, it's part of the root cause that we had the water crisis issue um, last year. And it's the root cause of so much else that's going on in Jackson, in parts of Hines County, in parts of Jackson um, right now. Um, how do you, as a potential representative, plan to ensure that uh, equitable dis distribution of resources and funding for projects benefiting underserved communities, particularly in Jackson and within House District 66, how do you plan to, to work on that as, as, as the next representative of House District 66? Well, you know, that is a great question because with District 66 is very unique. So uh -huh. we cover part of South Jackson, we cover part of Byron, we mm -hmm. cover part of Terry, mm -hmm. a little bit of Utica and Raymond. So we have different cities with different needs. Urban and rural. Yeah, urban and rural. Mm -hmm. And so it's so unique in that aspect. So the way that we get it done is by understanding the issues of each community. Okay. And I do want to say something. One thing I want to say is that in this last legislative session, a lot of funds were appropriated to um, to Jackson mm -hmm. that was vetoed by the governor, a Republican governor. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so the thing about it is we have to continuously fight mm -hmm. and advocate for our people and mm -hmm. to make sure that the proper funding is given. We have to identify projects and we have to earmark money. So we mm -hmm. have to, when we're appropriating funds, which I know I won't get on appropriations committee. My first time, I'll look at it. It's powerful. It is powerful. But we have to have close relationships with them and ensure that as this money is coming in, that we're appropriating it for projects. Mm -hmm. And we just have to really sound an alarm and get together with the Hines County delegation and make sure that we are advocating for Hines County to get the things that we need because there are a lot of needs. And like you said, we've been underfunded for so long that. It's hard. You can't play catch up now. Well, let's, let's put a little bit more meat on that bone. Yes. Because you mentioned something that I think a lot of us don't take seriously. Maybe I phrased that the wrong way, but don't really understand how much Republican governors in this state have hurt this capital city. And it's not just the capital city. It's communities all over the state. When the legislature puts forth money to go to a, 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 an area like Jackson, a city like Jackson, and that governor vetoes it. That's if it gets past a Republican-controlled legislature. And so just talk about talk about the impacts of that, how, how hurtful that is, how much that hurts our communities when that happens, because we don't, we don't, we don't only see it in funding, funding communities like Jackson. We see it in the, in the reluctance to expand Medicaid. Yes. We see it in the reluctant, reluctance to, to, uh, to, to properly, properly fund education, which we're going to talk about Later, so talk about your in your 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 mind. How do, how does that affect communities when we have this one individual doing that over and over and over again? You know, it's detrimental. Yeah. And see, what happens with this is people think that my representatives and my senators aren't fighting for me, not yeah. advocating for me, because they just don't know that they have people fighting. We have some great representatives and senators in the House County delegation, right, that are fighting for us every single day. But when we see things in the community that aren't changing. People mm -hmm. are quick to say, well, we don't have anybody fighting for us. So we have to sound alarm and let people know what's going on. 
It's mm -hmm. all about education. That's why people don't believe in voting. They say, well, I can vote, but nothing is going to change. But yeah. once people realize that it's at the top that's holding us back, I, that will open their eyes up. And like you said, with our water crisis that we're experiencing, mm -hmm. this didn't happen overnight. No. They've been on for 50 years that our water system was failing. Mm -hmm. And it finally failed on the current administration. Mm -hmm. And now, well, you know what we do is it's because of poor management. No, it's because we were not proactive and we have neglected the capital city for so long. Imagine that. Imagine that. The capital of your state. Yes. The capital of your state. Yes. And you have a person at the head of state government intentionally underfunding that city. That capital city. And oh, by the way, the blackest city, the blackest major city in the United States. Yes. And you have Republican governors that have been doing it term after term after term. And that pain and that underfunding, it compounds. It does. It compounds and causes so much problems, housing issues, uh, homelessness, uh, Education, which we're going to talk about later. So I, I'm, I need to ask you some more questions. I can, go ahead. Go ahead. And what I, do, I, what I call it is, I call that a perfect storm. So mm -hmm. when you're setting a city up for failure, mm -hmm. so that you can say, well, look at this city. This city cannot, you know, our African-American politicians and our Democrats cannot do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And so you're creating the, per the perfect storm, and that's not right because we can but it's we you know we're dealing with what we have to work with well i think sometimes uh, uh people like that leaders like that um for instance uh, our current government they, what they're doing is conditioning communities to not trust their the, the leaders that they elect yes they're conditioning um i think they're conditioning black communities low-income community members to not trust those leaders who when they voted for them they had confidence in them but because it's so hard for them to get access to those resources to bring back to their communities, at some point, those voters say, you know what, enough is enough. Um, what I, I know I know this person. I know this person cares about his community. That's why I voted for him, because he did the work in the community before. But something's not right. And the only thing that I have, the only the thing that I can touch, that I can see, that I can blame it on, is the person that I trust most in the legislature. You know? And, and, and I think that's so just diabolical. Yes. 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 Is nasty. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and you want to get into the Somebody's got to do it. Somebody, somebody has to do it. If not me, who will? Well, tell me why. Why, why, why do you want to play a role in this thing that we have? We call democracy. On the one hand, it's a beautiful thing. Yes. It's lasted for so long. It's the envy of so many governments around the world. But on the other hand, you and I both know, and the listeners know, it's tough and it's emotional. So why? Why? You know, I have four reasons why, and those are my children. Those are my four boys. Uh, and what I see is I have to leave this place better than mm -hmm. how I found it. Yeah. And when I found myself a year and a half ago arguing with the TV when the news is on, <laughs> I said, you know, I can sit here, I can fight, I can yeah. complain, I can fuss, I can go to the Capitol yeah. and, um, and, and protest, mm -hmm. but things are not changing. Mm -hmm. The way we change things is by running for office. Don't yeah. get mad, get elected. Yeah, That's what, that's that's my driving force. And like you said, it's emotional, it, it is. is tiring, but at the end of the day, when I know that I'm doing something that's going to affect the people in this state of Mississippi to make it better. Mm -hmm. That's what gives me the energy and the courage to keep on going on. When yeah. I see my kids out there campaigning with me, <laughs> how excited they are. There's so many wonderful things, and I've advocated a lot in the foster care system here. Yeah. And so that's what makes me continue to go on, because if I don't do it, who will? And we have so many great people that don't want to do it because of those reasons. And so I'm hoping that other people will be inspired to run for office yeah. and get involved. That's the only way we're going to change things here. Yeah. It is. And in our constitution, it makes, it, it makes the opportunity available for everyone. It does. The, the, uh, I, I talk about job requirements. Some job requirements say, well, you need to have this certification. You should have gotten this uh, graduate degree. You need to have this much experience. The constitution only gives you two requirements. Whether you live in a certain community, and you made it, make it be the major choir. That's it. That's it. That's it. That's it. <laughs> so, but we're going to move on because we got, I got some more stuff I got to ask you. I don't want to waste all your time before we get out of here. So, um, community engagement. Community engagement, that's vital 
for um, effective representation. If elected, how can you foster open communication and regular interaction with the constituents in-house um, District 66? And you know, communication is key mm -hmm. with constituents. And that's one thing that I started doing as far as campaigning. I'm in every single community event that you can think of going on in District 66. So it's all about building trust within the community mm -hmm. and letting the community know that, hey, you have someone that you can come and talk to if you have an issue. Mm -hmm. Because the thing is, people don't trust elected officials because elected officials are so standoffish. Mm -hmm. With me, come up to me, talk to me. I'm sitting at a restaurant and people are, hey, I got a question. I say, come and sit down with me. You know, have some food with me. And so it's all about engaging with them. I do a lot of different things on Facebook. Like I do a lot of Facebook lives. I do a few Facebook lives a week. It's just a QA. Mm -hmm. I talk about things that happened this last legislative session. And so once elected, I plan to continue to do those things. Um, when we're talking about bills, I think that people need to know about it. Well, that's part of what you sign up for. Yes. You sign up to be accessible to community members who don't have the capacity to fill that position, who don't have the capacity to speak for themselves, who don't have the capacity to vote for themselves. And, and some, some of them do have the capacity, they just don't want to do it. They, they want to stay at home, work, and take care of their families, and they want to trust someone else to fill that void and be honest with them, be straightforward with them. But most, I think most important is to educate them about what's going on in the legislature. And it's all about transparency. Yeah. Because what we have happened a lot is our legislators, they love good things going on, <laughs> but when it comes to the bad things, the yeah. people need to know about the bad things that are going on. Yeah, absolutely. People will respect you if you say, hey, this is what happened. I fall for you, but it happened all the time. So we have to be open and transparent, you know, with uh, with our constituents. You know, we have to read these 1,000-page bills, and that's what we're going to be able to articulate them to our community. I think one of the things that is missing in, um, in our leadership on the state level, local level, and federal level, is the ability for leaders, like you said, to be honest with community members and say, hey, um, this is what I tried to do and it didn't work out. Mm -hmm. I failed. I tried to do this and it didn't work out. This is where this bill went wrong, or this is why I wasn't successful in getting this for you, as opposed to just trying to feed people all the good things that you tell them, tell them why you weren't successful. And I think people would appreciate that, you know, and over time. And, and you have to always have a contingency plan. Mm -hmm. If the measure fails, okay, we didn't get it, but this is what I'm going to do. Yeah. And I always didn't pass, and we're going to just tuck our tail between our legs and run. We have to have contingency plans in place because anything can happen. You know, you have two chambers to get through plus a governor to get mm -hmm. through. Anything can happen. And as, like, you know, you might, they start off probably with 6,000 ideals for bills. Yeah. That goes from 6,000 to about 3,000 actual yeah. bills that, where they're going to go to the floor. And out of that, you probably have a few hundred to get out of the chambers and go to the government. Yeah, and being able to articulate to community members that we do live in a, um, a democracy where you share power, you share ideas, you argue over stuff. And sometimes I might get 40% of what you want me to get, and the other side is only 60%. And on other cases, I might get 70% of what you want, and the other side is 30%. It's never uh, a, a zero-sum game. It's never I'm going to get everything that I want from my community. And being able to articulate that to community members, and I think that's something that miss, that's missing in our politics, and I, would, I think would be so beneficial if, if leaders explain it to communities. We have to. Yeah. So, so next question. I think I know this is uh, important to you. Education. Oh yes. Education. You on four different PTOs, man. I know education is important to you. <laughs> education dripping out of your ears. Look. So the Mississippi Legislature passed the Mississippi Adequate Education Program (MAEP). Very important. In 1997, setting a formula for an adequate. Adequate is an important word here. Amount of spending on each child. When you think about adequate, a lot of people think, oh, adequate, this is awesome word. Starts with an A. No, it ain't. Adequate, adequate means baseline, the minimum possible. And they named it that. Yes. Our legislature said the Mississippi Adequate Education Program. How snobbish is that to our children? Blows my mind. We want adequate, adequate children. No, you know, we want great children. We want great children. I, I, I want I'm, I'm the Mississippi basic lowest level education plan. That's basically what they're saying. Yes. But I digress. Yes. They passed this in 1997. Uh, and it set an amount of spending on each child. However, the Mississippi Adequate Education Program has only been fully funded twice since then. 
with the last fully funding year occurring in 2008. And that resulted in public schools across the state of Mississippi losing millions of dollars due to unmet legislative commitments. I was in one community, this is one community, one community a few weeks ago where I was talking about the uh, Mississippi Adequate Education Program and how it affected that one county public school system since 2008. Over $16 million they've lost because of that. Over six, blows my mind. In fact, Mississippi's public school students receive funding at a state, at a rate among the lowest in the nation, even trailing every single one of our neighboring states. We trail Arkansas, Alabama, Louisiana, and Tennessee with regard to how much we fund our, our, uh, our kids. All of, those, all of those states, they invest at least $1,200 more, more per student than we do here in Mississippi. Every year since the Mississippi Adequate Education Program was enacted, the majority of the legislature has opted to allocate schools um, less than what their own formula indicates necessary for the schools, the student's success. Here's the question for you. Mm -hmm. How do you plan to confront and rectify the ongoing educational disparities in House District 6, especially in the areas that are underprivileged? And so, with that, you brought up some very good points. Yeah. You know, because a lot of people say, we're going to fully fund education. <laughs> we're going to fully fund it, but you have to yeah. have a plan to, to fully fund it. Yeah. And with MAEP, believe it or not, we were very close last legislative session to fully mm -hmm. funding it. It unanimously passed the Senate, Republican and Democrat controlled Senate. I'm right. sorry, Republican controlled Senate. Right. It unanimously passed. Yeah. What they did is because the MAEP formula has not been updated. It's an antique formula. Right. So what they did is they updated the formula and voted to fully fund education in the Senate. Mm -hmm. They left the Senate and went to the House of Representatives and they did not entertain it because they didn't agree with the calculations of right. the formula. It's too complicated. And so we ended up not fully funding um, MAEP. Yeah. Fact of the matter is, education has been underfunded for so long, long time that even if it is fully funded, we're still playing catch up. We talked about that compounded damage earlier. When it talk, when it comes, education is part of that. Yes, it's compounded over over generations where they're underfunding our kids. It's billions of dollars that we have that we have cheated our public yeah. schools out of in Mississippi. Absolutely. And so, you know, to combat that is, I'm going to be a strong advocate. Like I said, the Senate. Um, wanted to fully fund it. It went to the House, and I'm running for House of Representatives. Go. I'm going to be on that floor. We are going to get this done. Mm. And see, the thing is, I want to point this out. When we're talking about fully funding education, mm -hmm. this last legislative session, we had this House bill, House Bill 1020, that got so much attention. The attention that was put on 1020 should have been on fully funded education because this has been a prolonged issue that we have been fighting for for such a long time. How about that? Instead, Instead of trying, trying to implement something in a majority black city that community members don't want, 1020, yes. why don't we focus our time on what community members care about most, our kids? Yes. It ain't algebra. <laughs> it's not complicated. And they put all of the focus and attention on that. We have to fix the basic things before we try to move on to the other stuff. And fully fund education is where the energy needs to be. And that's where it's going to be in 2024. Okay. Yep. I got you. I got you. Now, let's let's get this next question because you got seven minutes, man. And I like this conversation. I like it a lot. But voting. Okay. Voting is is, is at the core of our democracy. And it's, it's uh, imperative in Mississippi that we get out and vote. We have more black people in this state than any state in this country, including Washington, D.C., Oh, almost 40% of the people in the state are African-American. And you take a look at what happened in Georgia with um, Senator Raphael Warnock twice. And our voting population is way broader than that with regard to black people. So there, yeah, we have folks here in this state. We have them, I'm telling you. And they're concentrated also. They're concentrated in Jackson and Hines County. They're concentrated in the Mississippi Delta, even though it's a rural area. They are there. So here's, here's, here's where I'm going. A recent decision by a three-judge panel of the United States Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that Mississippi's lifetime ban on voting for individuals convicted of certain felonies is unconstitutional due to it imposing a cruel and unusual punishment. This happened a few weeks ago, where because Mississippi, for as long as I can remember, um, has been saying if there are certain felonies that you have been convicted of, in a Mississippi court, 
then you can't vote ever again in your life. Even after you've been released from uh, incarceration, you can't ever, ever vote again. Well, the Fifth Circuit, which is the most conservative circuit in this country, two, uh, three, two judges on a three-judge panel said, no, no, that's not right. And so they overturned it. So now, according to that ruling, our Secretary of State cannot enforce that ruling anymore, which means that these people with these felonies on their record that have, that have done their time, they can register. They can register to vote and potentially register in November when you or your opponent comes up in the general election. And next year in 2024, when we have a presidential election, uh, that's over 200,000 Mississippians who could be eligible, eligible to participate in our democratic pause process. Question. Okay. How do you envision expanding voting rights in Mississippi, uh, promoting voter engagement, and elevating voter turnout, not only in House District 66, but, the, but statewide? Because you you have a vote, mm-hmm. and that's powerful. There are other states around the country where, where people vote uh, mail in, uh, uh, email, or whatever. And some of these Republicans, surprises Republicans. <laughs> well, not me. But here in Mississippi, it's so hard to vote for people to vote uh, weeks beforehand. Okay. You know. So how do you plan on working on some of that? All right. So here we go. Let me try to get to you real fast. Okay. okay. So when we talk about voting rights, let's go back to um, Reconstruction. Okay. Way back. Reconstruction. Oh, I love history, man. Don't start. Don't start with me. I love history. So when we talk about Reconstruction and Jim Crow, so the disenfranchising crimes were were crimes that, that you know that disenfranchise you from voting were crimes right. typically that they the big African American people. Yeah. And so that is what happened, how they were able to take our votes away. Mm. Now we have a lot of other things going on in the state right now. So the first thing that we have to do is we have to stop these new laws. So you know we have a law that was just recently that they um they overturned it. That was the craziest thing, the one with the disabled people. Yes, with disabled people, you, you cannot know, you know, community organizations couldn't come and help you with your absentee ballot. Yeah. And so we have to first stop those, um, those laws in their track before yeah. we can work to expand. But early voting needs to be made possible here in Mississippi. You know, you want to vote absentee. The crazy thing about Mississippi is if I request an absentee ballot, I have to request an application in the mail. Yeah. That application has to be notarized. Yep. Send it back to the circuit clerk. Then they send the absentee ballot, which I got to find another notary to yep. notarize that. So it's not called for all of that. You're making it harder for people to vote, and we already have low voter turnout. Well, and see, for me, I, I see that as a, another form of poll taxation. Yeah. Because no, getting a notarization most times ain't free. It's not. You're going to have to pay. And then most Twice. People, the people, <laughs> and people that are voting absentee are people that say, I can't leave my house. You know, right. vote. And so that's, you know, that's crazy. Now, in regards to voter turnout, I'll give you a fun fact here. Okay. So in voter turnout, we looked at the numbers uh-huh. um, for Hines County. So out of all of the Hines County races, that all of the Hines County House contested races, mm-hmm. we had the highest voter turnout really? in this election, which it was not astronomical off the charts. But I had 1,555 votes. Yeah. I had more votes than any candidate in Hines County in contested races. Really? So we're turning the votes out. We know how to turn the votes okay. out. We get involved in the community, knock on doors, talk to people, and let them know why it's important to vote. Mm-hmm. So we have to get more candidates to start doing that. And once we start doing it, we'll see our numbers come up. Yeah, that's good stuff. Boots on the ground. Boots on the ground. I tell people all the time that uh, social media, um, radio, television, that's important for modern-day campaigning. However, what you cannot replace is knocking on somebody's door, looking them in the face, hi, my name is Joe. I'm running for this position. Can I please have your vote? You cannot. You cannot replace that personal connection. You vote. have to have it. You have to. Yeah. You have to. So look, we have five twenty-eight. We got two minutes. Okay. Right. Yes. This is your two minutes. Okay. For you to explain to voters in House District sixty-six why they should vote for you. It's all yours. Go ahead. All right. Appreciate it. Well, the first thing I want to do something that I, I didn't do in the beginning. I want to thank every single person that came out and voted in this last election. I want to ask you guys to come back out again on August 29th and to run out and vote for Fabian Nelson. And the reason that you guys should come out and vote for Fabian Nelson is because I care about the community. I care about every single person in the community. I care about our community organizations. I have been doing the groundwork. I have been boots on the ground. When you guys need me, I show up. I reach out to our community leaders all the time. Hey, are you doing anything? I talk to the principals at the schools in the district all the time. Hey, what's going on? What do you need? 
this is a type of representation that it's going to take to move our state forward, the hands-on approach that I'm given. And so that's why I'm asking you guys to go out, you know, back to the polls on August the 29th and vote for me because it is a new day for District 66. I am so excited to be, um, you know, going into leading District 66 next year. We're going to be the best district in the state of Mississippi, and I'm going to give you guys reliable representation. And, you know, thank you for having me um, on your show. It's been, been an honor being here. Yeah. And I like the technology. <laughs> <laughs> Look, man, I'm a nerd, so I love this stuff. Yes. I, I geek out at this, but I'm, ha I'm glad you're on. And yes. I'm glad that uh, voters get an opportunity to hear you, to hear your message, to hear anybody's message that's getting ready to um, to run for office. That's important. Yep, that's absolutely. Important. So thank you so much. We're going to invite our next guest in the show. We're going to set up a minute, but ladies and gentlemen, uh, Fabian Nelson running for House District 66 right here on You Talk, I Listen, We Do. Thank you so much, Mr. Nelson, for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Sit on down. How you doing? You ready? Let's get it. I'm glad you're here. We're muted now, so we type your name in here. Is it Harris hyphen Allen or just Allen? Okay, we're back. Let me make sure I got this right. There we go. We're back. And in the studio with us now is our. Oh, well, let's get on. One more. Okay, we're back now. In the studio with us now, we have um, someone I've known for a while. Um, and she also is running for House District 66. And the way I'm going to do this is just to make sure it's fair, I'm asking you the same questions that I asked him, I asked your um, opponent. So now, 
a few weeks ago, two weeks ago actually, a couple weeks ago, your election came up. Uh, there were several candidates in the race. Nobody got above 50%. And it turns out that you were one of the top two. And now y'all in a runoff election, August 29th. Okay? And that person is Dr. Rashonda Harris Allen. She is the author of Social Justice Disrupting the Pipeline and is now a candidate running for House District 66, as I mentioned. She's a longtime resident of Byron, Mississippi. Dr. Allen's academic achievements include a Bachelor of the Science in Elementary Education, a Master of the Science in Early Childhood Education, and a Specialist Certification in Infant and Toddler Development. That's a lot. In addition to her impressive educational background, she holds a doctorate of Early Childhood Education from the Jackson State University. The Jackson State University. See, there you go. I mentioned Sam because you know he's uh, your your opponent. He's from Jackson State University also. And I have to say I have to pronounce it right way so that I don't get into a physical fight here in because I know y'all take that seriously. <laughs> Currently, she's an associate professor of education at Tulu College. Dr. Allen Dedication signs through her work. Welcome back to the show, because this ain't your first time. This ain't your Not first, first show. Time. Thank you so much for inviting me back, Ty. I greatly appreciate it. You are welcome. I'm happy to have you here. Happy to have so, you on the show. Uh, so uh, let's hop so let's right hop into right it. Into it. Okay. Okay. First, I want to ask you, this, this ain't even on the list. Why? Why Why did you decide to, to do this? Running for Running office is hard. hard. And it's and personal. personal. People get all in business and everything, and you know, you know, but it ain't for everybody. But I but think it's one of the beautiful things about our democracy, you know, um, where you have this thing that people get out and come to participate, but on the bottom side of it, it's so, so painful sometimes, and it can be contentious. So, Ty, I think this story goes back to the first day I met you, and um. You came, I was a part of the Mississippi Black Leadership Institute, uh -huh. even though you're also an alum. And um, you brought a book to share with us. Okay. The book you wrote. <laughs> <laughs> and I asked you why. Mm -hmm. And you told me your story about growing up mm -hmm. in Mississippi, and that really encouraged you to write the book. Mm -hmm. And so I said, wow, it's funny I meet you today because mm -hmm. I've been wanting to write a story as well. Mm -hmm. And you encouraged me to go ahead, write the book, put it in black and white, but do it as soon as possible. Because if you sit <clears> on it, you will never get it done. Yeah. So I'm taking the same advice <laughs> you gave me when I met you. I want to say it was maybe a year after COVID uh -huh. when I met you. I'm, I'm doing the same thing that you said to do when it came down to writing my book. Mm -hmm. I want to be able to tell my story because part of my story is the reason why I ran or why I'm running uh -huh. for a political seat, especially House District 66. People need resources. Mm -hmm. People need to know and understand that it is a such thing called equity. Oh, there you go. There's a such thing called having the proper resources. Mm -hmm. There's a such thing called as someone who actually advocates on your behalf instead mm -hmm. of turning a cold shoulder. Yeah. So you asked me why did I run? That's why I run. Okay. I run for my constituents and I run to tell their stories so I can help move Mississippi forward. Okay. Let me see. So you know when when you when 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 a black woman starts separating all her words, that means, <laughs> that means you you ask the question that's touched the nerves. You're like, okay, you gonna ask me that question? Okay, I'm gonna tell you why I'm running. This is why I'm running now. You gonna listen too. So anyway, <laughs> my wife starts separating her words when I'm at home. I, I like okay. Yeah, you got my shit. Let me focus. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm focused now. Listen. <laughs> Look, Doctor Allen. Uh, again, I'm so glad that you're on the show. So let's get straight into it. You know, and I asked your your opponent the same question. Historically, for um, for the last several decades. Our capital city, you know, and parts of your district have, have been, been intentionally, intentionally underfunded. 
We saw the results last year with the Jackson water crisis. Mm. Um, it's, it's, I think it's, it's absolutely ridiculous that we have leaders at the top of our state government that do that um, intentionally. And given that historical underfunding, not only in, in, in Jackson, but in communities of color all over this state, communities in general, especially low-income communities, because we have some low-income communities that are not community of color, mm -hmm. communities in general, how do you as a representative feel that you can ensure equitable distribution of resources and funding for projects benefiting um, the underserved communities within House District 66? So tied. Okay, there you go. That's <laughs> raising words again. So tied. No, but as soon as I get sworn in, my goal is to make sure that I meet everyone mm -hmm. and make sure I build a relationship with everyone, especially those who are with the Hines County delegation. Mm -hmm. Because if you do not build those relationships, you will not be able to gain your mm -hmm. support. So that's going to be more than just District 66 because the problems kind of lay over. For example, yeah. all of Byron is not District 66. Mm -hmm. All of Jackson is not District 66. I have a piece of six Cities. Mm -hmm. And so I would have to work with um, everyone who and that's even across. And that's even within the legislature. You have to work with people that's in other districts as well. And you know, because it's not just one um, district or one one county's uh, elected leaders that control the purse strings. You know, to get that money out to it to, uh, to the community. Right, but you're gonna have to vote. There you go. And you can't. <laughs> win in the super majority if you don't get the respect yeah. of others that's mm -hmm. going to be voting with you. Mm -hmm. We all know, like I just said, it is a super majority that doesn't look like us. Mm -hmm. So you have to build trust and relationships with everyone that's mm -hmm. within the house. And you also have to build trust and relationships with those who are in the Senate because the vote has to go through both the mm -hmm. Senate and the House in order for it to pass. And so I'm going to do the best I can to make sure I build those working relationships and have an open line of communication with all of the committee chairs. Mm -hmm. Because you never know when you may need that person to vouch for you. So it is very important that I also seek mentorship mm -hmm. because I will be a newcomer on the block. Right. So I'm, I, you, I can't go in like I know all because I don't. You know, this will be brand new to me being in the house. So I'm going to call someone who I've been talking to probably on a weekly basis um, now as uh -huh. we speak, um, House Rep. Ronnie Pruda. Okay. And I'm going to look to him for advice because he's helped me out on things before. Mm -hmm. And so I feel and trust that and believe that he would be a good mentor for me. And I think that's, that's healthy for our democracy for someone that's, that's running for office to have a mentor coming in the door. Someone to hold your hand and say, look, this is how... I do it, or not that you need it, um, but also when you say, you know what, hey, what do you think about this? Does this make sense? You know, or what do you think about this idea? I just thought about it last night when I was cooking, or when I was um, helping my child with the homework. This is an idea. This is some legislation that I want to put forward to run that by somebody. So I think that's that's wonderful. Right. It takes a strong person to be able to accept constructive criticism, mm -hmm. and I wouldn't be in the seat I'm in today. I don't have the job I have today, and I wouldn't be advocating for the people and the community that we have not had strong mentors and be able to accept constructive criticism. So I plan on continuing in doing the same thing with the help okay. of strong mentors. Okay. So let's move on to the next one because I want to make sure you get all your stuff in within 17 minutes. I'm telling you. <laughs> community engagement is vital for uh, effective representation. If elected, how can you foster open communication and, re and regular interaction with the constituents of House District 66? So again, I'm going to maintain an open line of communication. Um, I tell people all the time, please feel free to text me, call me, inbox me. I tell them, you know, you can call me between 9 a.m. Mm -hmm. and 9 p.m. or text me. But I'm also going to attend homeowner association meetings. So, you know, what people know, right. HOA meetings. I do some of that now. I just have to broaden yeah. the uh, association meetings I go to. Start right. going to some or more yeah. throughout District 66. Um, I also will develop a social media platform. Mm -hmm. And so those who don't attend HOA meetings or those who are not a part of the HOA, you'll still be able to get a lot of the information that's been shared through social media. But you also have that population that 
you know, don't have Facebook or yeah. Instagram or any social media accounts. And then you have some who, like I said, don't attend HRA meetings. So it's very important that you develop some type of loose newsletter or another form of communication to give to that certain population. Yeah. Because everyone needs to be informed. You do. You have some people make it accessible. You have some people who just can't um, get can't physically come to a, a physical meeting. You have some right. elderly community members. And that's when you go, that. that's when you go to them. Yeah. So for example, I've been to two senior citizen living mm-hmm. facilities. Some of them can't get out unless someone comes to pick them up. Right. And we don't know what time or day that's going to be. So mm-hmm. making an effort to go out and visit those people is very important. Yeah. So they know everything that's going on. And then also, you can talk to them and find out what you need to be advocating for on yeah. their behalf. I think that's the most important part. You uh, and Like I, I, I tell people all the time, uh, social media, radio, television is important for uh, modern day politics. However, nothing can replace that face-to-face personal uh, conversation with that person because that's where you learn. You learn what's going on in your community and you learn what you need to respond to and how you need to bring information and resources back to those community members, especially to our elderly community members who might not understand how to uh, deal with social media. Yes, and you Mm -hmm. have to go in as a friend. Yeah, You can't go in as their enemy. You can't go in as their delegator, Mm -hmm. as a delegator. But you have to go in as a friend and show yourself friendly. Mm -hmm. A wise man once said to me, Proverbs 18 and 24. (laughs) 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 And um, that's pretty much saying show yourself friendly. You know, being a friend to someone goes a long way. And so that's what I would have to do okay. with um, the entire district, but also Hines County and the state of Mississippi. Mm. Because at the end of the day, like we discussed earlier, you have to vote. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So you got to show yourself friendly, not just to your constituents. But also to the people who share the hospital. Yeah. So, so let's let's roll on to the next topic, the next topic, which I know is near and dear to your heart because I think it's important also. Education. I know education is important to you. So the Mississippi legislature passed the Mississippi Adequate Education Program, MEAD, in 1997, setting a formula for an adequate amount of spending on each child. However, the MAP has only been fully funded twice since then. The last time it was fully funded in 2008, resulting in public schools across our state losing millions of dollars due to unmet legislative commitments. This, this is a rule that they set themselves. You know what I'm talking about. In fact, Mississippi's public school students receive funding at a rate among the lowest in the nation, even trailing every single one of our neighboring state, um, Arkansas, Alabama, Louisiana, and Tennessee, they all spend more, about $1,200 more per student than we do. And you wonder why we're at the back of the line with, with regard to so many things that are going on in our kids. Yeah, I know it. I know it. Every year since the Mississippi Adequate Education Program uh, was enacted, the legislature, uh, part of the legislature at least, has opted to allocate schools um, less than what their own formula indicates necessary for our kids to be productive. Question, how do you plan to confront and rectify this issue of ongoing underfunding of our education, especially when you come to House District 66? Ty, I have been an advocate for education pretty much my whole life because my mother is a teacher. She taught with the church public school system. I love teachers. Yeah, so some of the same issues they faced in Detroit, mm-hmm. of course, it's an urban school district they face down here in Mississippi. So this is not something new to me, um, trying to make sure I get full funding for public schools. But I will say this time, I believe pre-K through 12 should be fully funded. Oh, there you go. And I'm going to say this again. Mm-hmm. Pre-K through 12th grade should be fully funded. Yep. Yep. Kindergarten is fully funded in some of our neighboring states as well. Mississippi is not mandatory to attend school until first grade. Yeah. So, we and you mentioned that we're underfunded, but stats show that according to our attendance scores, a lot of areas you can't compete also with um, students from other states. Yeah. But that's for the resources. Yep. So when it's all said and done, can I sit here and not advocate for fully funding? 
public schools. No, I can't. Mm -hmm. It's something I've been doing since I would say about 1999. That's when I joined the Mississippi Association for Education for the first time. Okay. And they really taught me a lot as it relates to advocacy and what it takes mm -hmm. to advocate for public schools, what it takes to advocate for students with disabilities, mm -hmm. and just education in general as a whole, because they also look at higher ed. Mm -hmm. So I will talk to those who I need to talk to, yeah. and I will do the best I can to convince everyone that pre-K-12 education, yeah. public school education, should be fully well, well, I think Head Start, Head Start, and Pre K is so overlooked and important. I'm a, I'm a Head Start now, you know, and neither one of my parents uh, received a formal education. My mother left school in the tenth grade and she, to give birth to me. She never went back, and my father dropped out in sixth grade. Uh, he never went back, but they saw fit to send me to Head Start, you know. And you're talking about we need to we need to make sure that it's fully funded. And that people have access to that resource. And you know, Ty, I actually used to work for Head Start. Really? Yes. Um, <laughs> I worked at Gershell's in Byron. <laughs> and when I left Gershell's in Byron, I worked for Office at Head Start out of Washington, D.C., doing school readiness assessments. Mm -hmm. And I thought that the programs that Head Start have, and you know, still have to this day, are mm -hmm. simply incredible. Yeah. But at the end of the day, uh -huh. we have to make sure that pre-K-12 is fully fine. Yes, but we also have to make sure that we prepare our college students to go back into these classrooms yeah. and make sure they are of quality. Yeah. And in order to do that, you have students coming out, college students coming out of yeah. District 66 that may not have the monies to go yeah. to school. Mm -hmm. But they want to be teachers. Yeah. And so now, working at two new college union directors for the Institute for Study of Modern Day Slavery, mm -hmm. I am going to look at some of these students and see if they will be interested in receiving um, some type of scholarship or mentorship yeah. or being a part of a fellowship program that would help them as it relates to funding so they yeah. can be an education major yeah. at an institution of higher ed. And so they can advocate mm -hmm. also and join um, different advocacy organizations that fight on behalf of education and fight on behalf of students and teachers. And then once they get everything they need, they will be put in these classes and still continue to fight and educate. So not only will I be fighting, I'll be leaving a legacy of students who will continue to fight to do the same thing for District 66. Okay, sounds good to me. Next topic. And I know it's near and dear also, especially if you're teaching at Tugu. <laughs> Tugu College is a historical, historical place near and dear to my heart. But voting. Yes. Uh, a recent decision by a three-judge panel on the United States Fifth Circuit Court of Appeal ruled that Mississippi's lifetime ban on voting for individuals convicted of certain felonies is unconstitutional. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's so important uh, with regard to this state, mm -hmm. to this state. Um, potentially, after that ruling, over 200,000 Mississippians could be eligible to participate fully in our democratic process. Potentially in November, mm -hmm. when the general elections come on, come around, and especially next year when we have the presidential elections. Um, how do you envision expanding voting rights in Mississippi, promoting voter engagement, and in elevating um, voter turnout, not only in House District 66, but statewide, because it's so important. So again, Ty goes back to the first question you asked me. I must form these relationships, especially with the Hines County delegation, but I also must form relationships with different organizations mm -hmm. outside of the legislature. I must, you know, continue to work with Black Votes Matter, continue to work with Mississippi yeah. Votes and all these different organizations that help register um, people to vote. I will continue to have voter registration drives where I bring these different organizations out. And then you said, how will I help um, people gain their rights back to vote? These organizations specialize in that. Right. But what people don't know is any job where you need a license, yeah. so that's a social worker, an educator, um, a doctor even, you cannot have a record. Mm -hmm. So since I've been working in higher ed, anytime I come across a student who may have something on their record, and it could be from high school, they didn't even know it was on there. Yeah. I call some of 
my fellow collaborators, for I'll even call it the city associate educators if they're an education major. And we make sure we help them get those records expunged. Yep. Because sometimes they don't even know that it's a program they can go through. Mm -hmm. um, I will also contact some of the attorneys I know who do the expungement clinics mm -hmm. or help with expungements. And I will make sure that they have an open line of communication with those who want to get their records expunged. Mm -hmm. Because like you said, we need to expand the voting rights of people. But I can't do that by myself. It's going to take the House, the Senate, and the nonprofit organization to all come together, mm -hmm. collaborate, and work towards that solution, making sure we get people out there to vote, making sure we get those who can get their records expunged, and then also making sure when these students turn 18 years old, they have already registered to vote for yeah. the next election. All of my children, besides my nine-year-old, <laughs> have registered to vote. Uh, and they even when they were 18. Yeah. So we yeah. have to continue to encourage that. Go to the high school. You have yeah. many 18 year olds in the high school. Mm -hmm. But you also have to give them a reason to vote. Yeah, absolutely. Give them a reason. Give them a reason to vote. Give them a reason to believe. Yeah. Give them a reason to believe. Yep. Them reason to believe that the system is actually going to work to their benefit. Because that's what they're for. Yeah. It's their work for the benefit of everyday uh, Americans and everyday Mississippians so they can understand that I'm going to get something out of it if I invest my time, my resources, and my energy into going down there and voting for you. I'm going to work to play a positive role in this democracy. Voters need to know that, um, that they're going to get something out of it. And I think right now what's so important about positions like this that you're running for, is that me personally, I think Mississippi's on the crisis. I think Mississippi's right at a crossroads, especially with regard to what just happened to Fifth Circuit, where so many more people are about to be added to the voter rolls. And I think we're about to turn we're about to turn the state from red to purple, purple to blue. I'm telling you, and people look at me sideways and I say that we're gonna shock you. Ty, <laughs> it was a point where I was taking probably ten voter registration papers down to Raymond yes. as I walked. In Canvas campaign, where mm -hmm. I have a registration driver, I have the voter registration um, yeah. papers in my hand. And I tell them, you don't have to take it anywhere, I will take it for you. There you go. So I'm going to continue to do that yeah. because that's the only way it's going to work. Mm -hmm. We yeah. have populations who can't get down there. Yep. Yeah, yeah. They're not able, able to get down or they may not have the resources. Because rural community, they may not have a car to get to the to the circuit clerk's office. To register the vote. But then, as, as someone that's running for office and as uh, elected leaders, one of our responsibilities is to get out to those communities, understand their shortcomings, understand what's holding them back, what's preventing them participating in our democracy, and filling that vote. Filling that vote. So, here's what we're going to do now. First, thank you for answering my question. So, we got two minutes, and these two minutes along with you, so that you can explain to voters in House District 66 why they should vote for you. On August 29th, is on August 29th. So it's all yours. Take it away. So, again, my name is Rashani Harris Allen. I am a candidate for our House Representative, District 66. And I would like to encourage everyone to go to the polls and vote in the runoff election on August 29th. I would love to be able to advocate for House District 66. I would love to be able to provide resources to House District. 66. My goal is to educate you all on everything that's going on at the Capitol. I believe that if we work together, we will see economic growth and development. We will see a change in the education system. We will see resources coming into those areas that we never thought resources would come to. But we have to do this together. So we all must go to the poll on August 29th. If you don't vote, your voice won't be heard. Hello? So vote your voice. Hello? And take two or three people with you. Yeah. Get in your Tahoe, your SUV, whatever you need to drive. Hop up that extra back seat, put two or three more people in your car or your SUV, and go vote. I got a Tahoe. I feel like you're taking me, telling me, give me something good. I have a Tahoe. I have a little intro. I have a little but I want to encourage everyone to vote on August 29th. 
There it is, ladies and gentlemen, Dr. Dr. Rashonda Harris Allen, candidate for House District 66, August 29th. House District 66, go out and vote in and select your representative. If you don't vote, you can't complain. If you don't vote, you cannot complain. That's the most valuable commodity I believe that we have is the power to vote. Thank you so much, Dr. Allen, for coming on the show. We appreciate you sharing your time with us here today. Um, and thank you all out there for listening to us um, here on You Talk, I Listen, We Do. My name is Ty Pinkins, and I am running for U.S. Senate in 2024. Please visit my website at typinkins.com, T-Y-P-I-N-K-I-N-S.com, to volunteer, donate, and help move our grassroots people-focused campaign forward. Say all that real fast. I can do it. I'm telling you. You can also find me on all social media platforms, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, Instagram, at the handle, at Ty Pinkins. So join us again next Wednesday right here for another episode of You Talk, I Listen, We Do. Peace out.